All right. Welcome back, Internet friends, to Love-Hate Relationship, an opinionated podcast by opinionated people. I'm Andy Bowell. And I'm Alex Ruiz, and we're here to brighten your day, anger your soul, and tell you how to live your life in that order. Andy, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm good, man. It's uh, It's been a long day. It's the busy season for uh, corporate production work. But, uh, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. Not too, not too, uh, not too worn down. Good, good. For those listening, we're recording at like 8, 11 p.m., which for me is often, you know, lie down in bed with a book to read for 10 minutes before <laughs> I pass out time. So I'm a little like, ugh, but yeah. I'm, I'm here and I'm rallying and I'm in. Putting our best foot forward for uh, these these first couple episodes. <laughs> God. Okay, so uh, speaking of which, all right, second episode, Andy, um, you want to do a little check-in, see how we feel after after the last round, everything we talked about? Have you changed your life at all? Are you are you making adjustments? I, no, you know. Um, Did you listen to Kinnison I, at least? Like, I listened to a bunch of Kinnison. He still cracks me up. <laughs> uh, I I got into a conversation with your wife yesterday. Oh crap! About uh, about salads and greens and eating right. In fact, um, I took a picture of the lunch that the hotel provided, which uh, had at least half of it salad or otherwise. And uh, she she commented saying she was proud of me. I don't know how much was sarcastic and how much was genuine, but it sparked a memory in my head. Uh, your wife is the reason I eat salad, like period. Yeah, she told me this story. Like, <laughs> what exactly happened? So it was whatever birthday party of hers was like a murder mystery. I I, I remember this. I yeah. want to say eighteen nineteen. Um. Whenever it was, this was back in the days before you guys were married, I uh-huh. need to preface, before you guys were married and I was crushing hard on her. Yeah. Um, so uh, here I am, this uh, this young man who uh, really potatoes and corn were my only vegetables. Gross. And I'm presented with this leafy green blueberry salad mm-hmm. um, at the birthday party of this girl I like and... I had a split second thought of, well, I guess we're doing this. I'm not gonna, not gonna not man up for the situation. And ate my greens, and they weren't bad. And kept on eating my greens. I love how like <laughs> eating a salad to this era of you is like taking castor oil for kids in the 20s or something like that <laughs> like it's just hold your nose and go for it. especially because i'm pretty sure her mom made that salad if i remember that party correctly probably so, so uh joanne if you're listening um number one i'm sorry and number two andy eats <laughs> salad because of you so yep <laughs> lovely um, uh, so not not to get off topic too much i also do want to say though uh, I, I watched a youtube video that was um, counting down some of the best vegan food places in New York, Hell yeah. and uh, one of one of the chefs was just so rotund, and it uh, it reminded me of our point of vegan does not equal healthy. Vegan just equals vegan. So it yep. was fun to see a little real world application of that. I love it. I love it. I love that you know we got to dispel that little myth. So. Well, that's just fantastic. I, I couldn't be happier, Andrew. So um, getting back over to the actual purpose and structure of the podcast. Uh, so if you're just joining us, uh, this is Love-Hate Relationship. We have three segments. Uh, we begin with something that we love very, very dearly, or specifically that one of us loves. Uh, one thing that one of us hates and then we take a relationship question from you, our fantastic audience. And we'll say more about that when we get to that section. But, uh, Andy, I think it's my turn to do the love. So That's right, may. buddy. Yeah, go ahead. All right, terrific. So, my love for this episode is the musical Assassins by Stephen Sondheim. Now, Andy, you're a theater person. Absolutely. Okay, you know the show. Um, I, I I sometimes worry with something like this that, you know, an audience... There's a stereotype of musicals in larger <laughs> culture, and yeah. 
that's and that's not always without merit. There's sometimes where I watch musicals and I kind of go like, what does this look like to a layperson who doesn't really care that much about this kind of thing? Why are all these guys dancing? We're asking every hetero to get to know us better. Oh, it's not just for gays anymore. Yeah, yeah. So, I, but you know what? I'm not going to worry about it because I love this show, and I think that even if you're not into musicals. Um, even if you have no interest in really going into any production or watching it or even listening to the soundtrack, though I do recommend it, I re-listened to the soundtrack today just to get ready for this, uh, I think there's a lot to unpack with this musical. So um, to give kind of a very brief description, uh, the show debuted on Broadway in 1990 and lit- had later productions in London's West End, St. Louis, and eventually a Broadway production in 2004, which famously... Uh, featured Neil Patrick Harris. A pre-How I Met Your Mother, Neil Patrick The year Harris. before that show started, yeah. Right. No, that's... Right? And that that production did win five Tonys. It's kind of, for a lot of people, sort of a de facto one, though I, I really like the original Broadway cast. That's besides the point. So, a brief summary. The play opens with a carnival shooting gallery sequence in which the various characters, all of whom are historical figures including Charles Gateau, Squeaky Fromm, John Hinckley, and John Wilkes Booth, people who have killed or attempted to kill U.S. presidents. They are all provided guns and sing about how killing a president will solve all of their problems, from lovesickness to poverty to physical pain. Uh, Then it just goes through all these various scenes featuring all the characters. It has imaginings and recreations of some of their assassination attempts, their executions. This is one of the only shows I know that has like two or three onstage executions (laughs) uh, and imagined interactions between the characters. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's really delightful. The, it's a show about these assassins and yet I do use the term delightful, um, one of the things I wanted to talk about just off the bat, um, you know, music, uh, music and theater are both avenues that I think can really broaden the human mind. I do believe that it is it is good for the uh, brain and good for the soul to go out and see a play or a musical once in a while. And Stephen Sondheim, more than maybe anyone else, his musicals have the rare ability to make you feel all of the emotions uh, assassins goes yeah. from bizarre to honestly funny to like tragically melancholy and heartbreaking and all all of his shows this one included just really run the gamut of emotions in a way that like Andrew Lloyd Webber some someone doesn't yeah no I agree with that completely um anyone who's heard of any Sondheim shows who isn't a theater person, I mean, there have been movie productions. Uh, there was a movie of with Johnny Depp as um, Sweeney Todd. Right, Sweeney Todd, which, Into the man, Woods. Into the Woods. Into the Woods just happened, and that had Meryl Streep and Chris Pine and Amanda Seyfried and... What's his name? Corden. Jeremy, James Corbin. Yeah, James Corbin. James Corbin. Corbin. James, Jeremy Corbin is the uh, <laughs> political figure in England that is a very different person. And the Kremlin's useful idiot. So let's let's not make that mistake. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, Assassins is... I mean, it's not a kind of show that would lend itself well to, like, a movie experience because it's not really a through-line plot. It's this... Right. It's all these various weird, disjointed scenes. And, and, and a lot of what I love about it, you talk about these um, deep emotional connections. And it's funny because it... Some of the best scenes in the whole thing are these weird interactions between characters who never interacted in real life. Most of them weren't even alive at the same times. But uh, you've got um, Sarah Jane Moore and Squeaky Fromm, the Manson girl, the two people who tried to kill Gerald Ford. Mm. You've got them, basically. The the show imagines this scenario where the two of them are kind of this weird insane Laurel and Hardy act trying to kill Gerald Ford and screwing up horribly because Sarah Jane Moore brings her kid to the assassination. Then when they actually see Gerald Ford, like he shows up and like helps them out because they dropped something. And then 
they don't even recognize him and they just start shooting off screen and they shoot a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken and it's disjointed and weird but super charming. Yeah, like that that's what I was saying about how it being like it it it's funny. It's honestly entertaining to watch. They these figures that uh in not all instances should be entertaining or enjoyable or uh someone that the audience connects to and they are um Another instance, there's yeah. the Ballad of Leon Cholgage, and it's it's sung like a, an old-timey carnival ride with the narrator who talks like this. And, and it, it's it, it's one of the funniest songs in the show. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And, I mean, I, the other side of it is, I mean, yes. Okay, so there's all these beautiful moments of comedy. Sam Bick. Sam Bick doesn't sing very much in this entire show. Uh, for those who don't know, Sam Bick is the guy who tried to kill Richard Nixon by hijacking a plane and crashing it into the White House. And Sam Bick's, most of his performances in this show are a series of some of the most deranged, hilarious, but kind of horrifying monologues that I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're all him speaking into a tape recorder, screaming at Nixon about how he got left behind. He does the entire show in a Santa outfit because Sam Bick was an out-of-work mall Santa. So you have this chubby dude who's just screaming into a tape recorder out of his mind angry and hilarious. And the whole time, I'm just sitting here just like, oh my God, this is a guy who, I think I remembered reading about him a little bit in history class and... He is screaming about how the Burger King slogan <laughs> is one of the great lies of America, the have it your way, that there really is no having it your way in America. And he's just chomping down burgers as he's supposed to be driving to the airport to hijack a plane. And the whole time he's shouting into this tape recorder to Richard friggin' Nixon. Who I will not be uh, imitating this episode. Uh, I, I'm not going to be. I wouldn't be mad if you did that. Arum. It's uh, it's it's funny you talk about reading in the history books. One of the things that I really enjoy about Assassins is the fact that it. Uh, I mean, going through the list of people that have assassinated presidents is a rather short list, but it's surprising how you have the hits. You've got Booth and Oswald and the people that everyone knows, but you've also got these mm -hmm. other successful or not, these other assassins who like, I didn't know about Leon Cholgage who uh, killed president William McKinley at the fair in Buffalo. I didn't know who um, uh, Charlie Gateau was and uh, yeah. And he's one of the most fascinating characters in the whole show. Yeah. He's great. Uh, Fun fact, uh, in the 2004 revival, Charlie Gateau was played by Dennis O'Hare of American Horror Story. Like, I, I love that so much. Oh, that is wonderful. And, and, right. and Charles Gateau is a fascinating character in the way he's portrayed because, like, so he's the guy who killed uh, James Garfield. Right. The historical thing is supposed to be that he did it because he was from a rival party and he was trying to gain party dominance. But, like, it goes into the story of Charles Gateau who was, by all accounts, an egomaniac. He'd been a con man, he'd been a traveling salesman, he'd been an author, and the show portrays him as this, like, terrifyingly optimistic man yeah. who is so convinced of his own brilliance and divinity that, like, he's one of the onstage executions, and he sings this song called... which is him alternating between this, like, solemn hymnal yep. and all this... Look on the right side, look on the right side. ...musicality, and, and it's disjointed and weird and fascinating. He comes off as eight different shades of crazy, but it works. Yeah. The other thing, you know, we're talking a lot about the comedy in the show, um, but there's weird tender moments, too. Uh, John Hinckley is fascinating here because... John Hinckley is the guy who tried to kill Ronald Reagan because he was obsessed with... John Hinckley was obsessed with Jodie Foster's mm -hmm. character in the movie Taxi Driver, where she played a 12-year-old prostitute. Um, and 
every sequence with John Hinckley is the I've seen this staged a couple times and every sequence that I've seen John Hinckley is always always has this overgrown hair in his eyes and he's dour and sad and he feels like a kid that you would have felt sorry for this entire time and the whole time he is like profoundly profoundly in love with this concept that if you if you see it performed well you buy in you kind of understand oh my god the pain of this character but then you step back to reality for even a second and you go no wait he has an autographed studio picture of Jodie Foster and he believes killing Richard Nixon will get her to fall in love with him and I've never seen a show play with suspension of disbelief that way. I've never seen a show that did mm. so good of a job at humanizing monstrous characters so that when you see John Wilkes Booth monologuing on all the reasons he killed Abraham Lincoln, all the how Lincoln, quote unquote, started a war, right. how he imprisoned people without trial, which is something Lincoln really did do. That is a legitimate criticism of Lincoln. All of this stuff, like, and and you get the picture of a man who watched his home be destroyed and ravaged by war, and then you have the balladeer, who in the 2004 version is played by Neil Patrick Harris, singing this song about all the reasons why we all believe right. that John Wilkes Booth killed him. For bad reviews, because his fame was going, his singing voice was going, and and just, oh, why did you do it, Johnny? Was it for the bad reviews? Like, And you feel for John Wilkes Booth, and then I listen to that scene, because it's in the soundtrack, and he calls Abraham Lincoln a tyrant, mm. which, okay, I'm on board so far, and then he calls him a nigger lover. Right. And immediately, like, I have never more quickly in a show gone, I'm with you, I'm with you. Oh my god, I'm not with you anymore. And that show is full of those moments. That's early in the show that they do that. Right. Yeah. And 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 I'm flabbergasted. And I don't know many shows that can do that. Like it, it shows you that these characters are deranged or really believe they're doing the right thing or insane or manipulated like Squeaky From and sure. Then it turns them and you're suddenly like oh my god, like, there's a human angle, but there's also just this deranged evil. Right, it, it it manages to make them fully fleshed out real people, which is, I think, the success in the writing, but it never strays yeah. too far from the fact that these are assassins. These are killers of people, and in some cases are absolutely insane. Yeah. So the the last thing that I really wanted to say on this before we move on is the kind of the last the big dramatic not the last scene but like the the dramatic top point of the entire the ending of the show is Lee Harvey Oswald who doesn't appear in the show until the very end and they dramatize Lee Harvey Oswald standing in the book depository and he's listening to the radio as the motorcade is coming. And they show him in the book depository. And then they posit that Lee Harvey Oswald is there to kill himself. Right. And then John Wilkes Booth shows up. And the others show up. And they're all they're ghosts or hallucinations or something. And they basically talk Lee Harvey Oswald into killing JFK. Because... It will make him famous because people, even though people will hate him, people will feel strong feelings towards him because what he does cements all of their place in history. And it's immediately and ultimately, you know, Oswald does it. And then it's immediately followed by a song called Something Broke. I think that's the title. Yeah, Something and Just Broke. It's just Something Just Broke. And it's various stories and and i mean our version of this generationally was the where were you during 9-11 but like my parents were in another country when jfk died they were on another continent 
and they remember where they were when JFK died. They have that story for me. Yeah. They know where they were on November 22nd, 1963 at that time. And they know when they heard the news and the thing is like, it's presented as this dark, horrible thing. And it's kind of right. Like they make a good point. Yeah. I mean, history remembers Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, we all do. I debated a little bit with bringing this because, you know, current events. I I will touch on this later. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm it's I hesitated a lot about bringing this to the table because this was on an early list of possible ideas I had when we first started talking about doing this podcast. And uh, I don't want to say that I chose it because of what's going on in current events right now, but I, I did hesitate because of that. And I think that there needs, I think there's room for this kind of discussion, this kind of nuanced talk where we say, okay, there is so much, this song, this musical has at least two songs about the power of a gun, how, how a gun kills many men before it's forged, men in the mines, men in the steel mills, about how all you need to do is wiggle your little finger and you can change the world and those things are terrifyingly true yeah and i think that there's there's a discourse to be had about what kind of power we give to people in history to weapons to wrong place wrong time right place right time and I think it's a good discussion to have. And I think this musical is a really, really interesting exploration of that. That's worth kind of entering into that discussion. I absolutely agree. And when you told me you wanted to talk about assassins, the musical, the first thing that came into my head was this is both the best time and the worst time to make a revival of this show. If they were to do it and to, have this conversation. I I mean, uh, I I don't want to single out the Trump administration. There were plenty of people who were just as uh, unhappy with the Obama administration. The, The point is right now we are more volatile than ever when it comes to our presidents. And, it it feels like a more dangerous time than ever when it comes to the act of assassinating someone, not necessarily a president, but as we're seeing right now, um, you know, school children and black people. And I wish we were ready to really put this show in the public eye and force the talk. But, I don't know if as a whole the society we're in is. It it requires a nuanced take. Yeah. This show is a very nuanced take because if you're not if you go in with a certain opinion of it or if you go in with a certain fear of it, you can come out of it thinking that horrible show just ta- just spent 2 hours telling everyone how wonderful it is to kill presidents. Or right. That 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 terrible show talked about how incredibly dangerous guns are, and damn it, I like my guns, and guns are never a problem, when in reality, both of those arguments are stupid because they're false binaries. Right. It's always more complicated than that. The show presents it as more complicated than that, but you need to be willing to read subtext, you need to be willing to go deep, you need to be willing to think about it with with some semblance of an idea that I might not have all of the answers. And I don't know if we're ready for that. I don't know if we've ever been ready for that. This is, this is not a nuanced country in terms of like hot takes. Right. (laughs) Um, I think you're right. I think, uh, you know, you mentioned hesitating about doing this topic and wondering if it was appropriate to, um, question whether or not we should have the discussion. I think we should definitely always be willing to have the discussion. Um, and so for that, I thank you for, for talking about assassins today. 
Yeah, absolutely. So that is my love. Uh, Stephen Sondheim's Assassins. If you get an opportunity, go check out the soundtrack. See if there's a production anywhere near you. Read the script. Um, it's not the most popular, well-known Sondheim show, but it's well-known enough. Uh, you should be able to find it without too much difficulty. So I highly recommend it. Absolutely. Double recommendation. All right, cool. Andy, uh, I believe that since I had the love, you're bringing the hate. That is right. That is how this works. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so my hate, I want to preface, uh, you know, last, last episode we talked about diets and, uh, I, I was thinking about it as I decided to make my hate on this. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm sure there will come a time where our hates are a little more benign and, don't come across as necessarily preachy. Um, mm. But this is not going to be one of those times because I, I have a stance about this. My hate is on the... Uh, so there is a subsection of YouTube that is devoted to essentially tricking parents and scarring children. Uh, I'm referring to a classification of videos that has been called YouTube poop, uh, and also gained some notoriety, uh, being known as Elsa gate. And so these are videos. Yeah. These are videos that they take the stance of mimicking something that you would find in like the playlist of a baby. It's, it's pre K, very small children, Mickey, Minnie, Spider-Man, Elsa, whatever, take these videos and subvert them and have these cartoon characters doing disturbing acts. Um, Some of the more prevalent ones that come to mind is stuff like you have baby Mickey and Minnie at the beach, and all of a sudden Mickey has a pair of scissors and is cutting off Minnie's ears. Okay. Yeah, and uh, it, it got the term Elsa Gate because there were a ton of these videos about Elsa and uh, stuff like Elsa and Spider Man making out on a bed and Elsa getting groped. These are real people dressed as Elsa and Spider Man doing this. And these videos would pop up in the same playlists as regular normal videos, and they were meant to scar children. I'm not. I'm not taking a stance here. This this caused a problem. This caused a huge issue because I uh, am the oldest of three, but my wife is the youngest of three, and both of her sisters have children. So I have seen firsthand um, in this digital age, uh, kids watch a lot of YouTube. They start watching it at a young age, and they are very quick to... Um, learn how to type in, you know, whatever characters they need to, or more, more likely the parents type in, um, you know, just a, a playlist of videos or even not a playlist, but YouTube has the feature where it goes to the next video now. Um, and so you have a kid watching this video, just trying to be kept entertained while mom is cooking or something. And all of a sudden they're seeing this, graphic disturbing stuff like uh, a minion uh peeing in a bucket and then uh, another minion coming and drinking it and it's so weird it's so disturbing and i want to make my stance clear i enjoy subversive humor i I talked about how i love sam kinnison in the last episode for crying out loud yeah okay stuff like stuff like robot chicken Stuff like uh, there is a there's a web show called Apocalypse Lane that features uh, Mickey and Goofy as like these cannibal hillbillies. Cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Stuff. All right. Stuff that is very clearly made by adults for adults and just so happens to mm-hmm. find its comedy through um, subverting childhood innocent stuff. That's fine. That's great. That's funny. This stuff is not that. This stuff is wrong, in my opinion. Yeah. No. I, I. So, I didn't know this existed before you submitted it for this episode. And 
I mean, neither of us have any kids, but, um, you know, I have a nephew, I have goddaughters, uh, I have little cousins, I have plenty of children in my life who I love very dearly. And I think there's an instinct on a lot of this where I, I, I could see us putting this argument out there and getting a flurry of comments from either uh, either very, very loving parents or people who don't have kids at all suggesting that uh, that's what you get for parking your kids in front of a screen instead of actually raising them or taking care of them. And I I think that's a bad argument. Right. I grew up on TV. And you know what? I grew up where you know, my parents were working a lot. Um, they also trusted me, maybe maybe more than they should have. <laughs> but um, I, I watched a ton of TV as a kid. Um, I read a lot and was not always appropriate. Not not by a very wide margin was it appropriate to the age. Uh, I don't think that ultimately damaged me. In some ways, I think that it might have even shaped me really, really well and had a lot of positive influences. But I think that you make a very smart distinction here because there's a difference between me being young and watching some horror movies that were clearly designated for older people and someone straight up going, okay, let me lure you in with promises of characters that are familiar to you and then deliberately try to scar you or, or, or cause you some kind of trauma or pain. And I don't really blame I don't blame the parents on this. I think this really does come down to people who are fucked up enough to try and do this to children. Right. And so I want to, and that is where all of the, all of the blame rests. Yeah. I want to jump on two things. Uh, cause I do agree. Um, uh, the, the, the immediate counter argument is, well, that's what you get for parking your kids in front of YouTube. I don't think this is that this isn't, um, not paying any attention to your kids. This is, um, the, the, three minutes that you have to set your kid down so that you can go make their dinner. Um, you know, you, mm. you need the thing to distract them and it can't always be, uh, you know, a, a shiny rattle or something, especially as kids get older, especially in this day and age, um, young kids are more yeah. and more raised by TV. So this is letting your guard down for a second and potentially facing horrible consequences for it. And, this really, yeah, no, this absolutely. is really a problem because exactly like you said, this is an intentional act. This is a lure and I maybe should have brought this up already, but I kind of wanted to wait to drop the hammer. There is speculation because nobody is quite sure why these videos are being made, but there are a couple different ideas. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just, uh, the worst parts of 4chan or, or whatever, being internet trolls and uh, having this intention to screw with people. Um, maybe it is a YouTube algorithm gone wrong. And there is speculation that AI bots are creating these videos just out of a sort of random number generator sense. Um, but the one that really terrifies me is there is the theory that these videos are a tool by pedophiles to, um, condition kids to not freak out in a situation where they definitely should be freaking out. A lot of these are sexual. A lot of these are, are fetish based. Um, just as many of them as are violent. And that's the one that has me hold my ground and say, no, this is evil. This is wrong. Um, and you're not gonna, I don't think you're going to get me to back down from that stance. And I don't think uh, many people are going to, uh, take umbrage with that fact. No, no, I, I certainly would not argue with that. I feel like I have heard, um, when I did, when you did send this along, you know, I, I, I talked to a couple people just about it casually as like, you know, people who are familiar with the fact that I'm doing this project and, I remember someone mentioning, uh, I'm not going to name a name, but someone mentioning, oh yeah, no, I think I remember reading something about how um, some people are putting out videos um, grooming kids, essentially, for these kinds of things. And and again, this 
this is not a topic that I had really heard anything about prior to this discussion and, and this episode, but it's the internet video content. Um, all of this is it like any other tool, really it's, you mentioned dropping a hammer. I mean, you can build a house with a hammer or you can hack somebody to pieces. This is a tool that um, for, you know, we talk a lot about regulation of the internet. That's been a hot topic in the last year. We've talked about net neutrality and, and websites uh, choosing what content they're going to display, terms of service, Twitter's bad at getting rid of Nazis, YouTube is bad at incentivizing creators, but how do you I, I don't know how you fit a topic like this into that discussion yeah you know it's it's you know there's i don't know if there's a regulatory aspect to it um you know there's there's free speech but there's also not shouting fire in a crowded theater um there's terms of service but we've seen that these organizations youtube is terrible at enforcing its own terms of service. It's terrible at keeping up with the deluge of very internet-savvy, very horrible people out there putting out terrible content. And that's just for things like how to modify a gun or yeah. white supremacy stuff or Logan men's Paul. rights activist stuff. Logan Paul right there. And, and it's... I love that you brought this up because I, it's such a, it's such a great topic to discuss as something that is a really really vile problem. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm sitting here trying to figure out what a good solution is, and it gets so much harder because whoever came up with these did it so smart and knew exactly how to manipulate YouTube. You know, these things are randomly popping up in otherwise fine playlists because they have titles like Elsa and Spider-Man learn to count. And it's actually, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Elsa and Anna chopping each other's heads off or whatever. Um, yeah. There is a thing called SEO and it's uh, search engine optimization and uh, I have a little bit of experience with this from when I tried to have a YouTube gaming channel. What SEO basically is, is it is a subset of keywords that you can assign to your video so that if somebody types those words into the search bar, um, that's the first thing that comes up. So all you need to yeah. do is make make this video and then call it something harmless and benign and then put in, you know, hundreds of counting, education, fun for kids, blah, 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 all these keywords. And it is going to worm its way into the internet and into people's homes. These videos are getting millions of views and I don't think all that many people are consciously clicking on them. Yeah. Are they, do you know if they're monetized by any, by any chance? Um, I, I really don't. I'll be honest about that. I can imagine that the ones YouTube has managed to cut to catch um, were demonetized or, or unmonetized in the first place. A couple of them um, there, there's an Elsa gate uh, Reddit and in my research, I stumbled upon it and, and through uh, somebody on there, I did see that some of these, some of these videos do have ads before them, which does mean they're getting monetized. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah. it's it, it it's a problem. It's especially a problem if uh, it really is just a random sequence or not so random sequence of bots that are creating this because short of finding that server and shutting it down, I don't know how you stop that. Yeah, um, because especially because, you know, it's not like you can shut down an entire YouTube account. Someone can literally just make a new email address. And put the same crap up the next day, the same day even, you know, and, right. and then and then what do we do? Do we track ISPs? A, that's impossible. B, uh, it's not exactly efficient. And C, there's privacy issues at stake there. And right, yeah, I I just 
The best Jesus. I can think, the best I can think right now, any of our vis- listeners who have young children or, you know, nephews or, or, or interact with them in any way, um, I do think an awareness is key. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that the regulation needs to come in the home. Uh, you know, I, I, I just made the defense for how that isn't always something you can do, but in the interest of, you know, not permanently doing some mental damage to your children, knowing that it's out there and just not letting your guard down a hundred percent is about the best solution I can provide. Um, so I think back to um, last episode, and it's funny because I see this weird pattern going on here where it's the pro- yeah. a problem I had with certain diets was that I really feel like they're not accessible to poor people. And I think about these YouTube videos, and I think about parents who park their kids in front of the TV or park their kids in front of these videos for a while, and... That is childcare for poor people, okay? You come home from working your double shift. You're tired. You're exhausted. You're trying to make dinner. You're trying to clean things up a little bit, do some laundry. Your child is screaming. Your child wants attention. Okay, I understand that. It's very difficult. You just need a few minutes to get this stuff done, so you park them in front of a screen for 20 minutes or an hour. I mean, sure, are there parents who probably park their kids in front of the TV for way longer because they just don't want to deal with them? Yeah, okay. I'm not. I'm not talking about those parents. Yeah, I'm talking about the ones who are are doing the best that they can, and their kids are suffering because of this. They, as parents, are suffering because of this. And and the first thing that popped in my head was the first solution that popped in my head. Uh, and this is such an internet solution: is pay for your content, pay for what you're going to show to your children. There was that story sure. a few months ago about. Like Netflix tweeted out something where they're like, to the person who watched B-movie 600 times in the last year or something like that. I don't remember the exact numbers. Uh, Are you okay? And then it turned out, I remember when that story broke. And like, (laughs) Hello Giggles had a write-up about it. And BuzzFeed had a write-up about it. And they're like, oh, this is, who knows what the situation is with this person who watched B-movie all these times. I I saw that. And I, I said right then, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that is a parent or a nanny or caregiver for a child and that is the only movie that child will watch so they are just putting that on once or twice a day just because it's the thing the kid wants to watch after snacks or it's what they play so that they can make dinner and i was right i was friggin right it was they came out that it was like some mom somewhere (laughs) whose kid just friggin loves b movie and will watch B movie, so she puts on B movie for him because it entertains him for an hour and a half while she gets done her chores and cleans up the house and stuff. And and okay, Netflix you pay for, it's cheap. Okay, that's that's a sort of solution, but it doesn't change the fact that, you know, people use YouTube because it's free. People use YouTube because for kids who don't want to watch the same thing over and over again, it offers some different stimulation and as long as those things are in place, people yeah. will take advantage of it. People will do shit like this. Yeah, and it, it's it's sick. At, at at best, it is horribly misguided and a little bit cruel. And at worst, it is sick and it's evil. And I mean, I guess like like I was saying, awareness is really the best solution mm. as of now. Um, and, you know, we don't have kids, so I can't speak as a father. Um, I can only really kind of even speak as a newly minted uncle. You know, keep keep a, keep track of your kids. And I, I don't mean physically. I mean, you know, talk to them, especially when they're young, especially when they're toddlers. You know, talk to them. Make sure everything's there okay. Make sure they're not talking about the silly video where, I don't know... Spider-Man made Kool-Aid come out of his pants or, and, 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 and maybe there's some stupid video that is like that. There are some of these videos that are just bizarre, but are otherwise innocuous and innocent. Um, but you know, it, 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 it's your kid, it's your niece, it's your nephew, it's your friend's baby. It's worth it to make sure 
they're okay and to do what you can to protect them from yeah. this We all screw up sickness. our kids. Uh, it's important to know how you're screwing them up. And it should be something that you're doing, not something you're not doing. Right. Yeah, the person who played the B-movie for their kid over and over and over again is screwing yeah. up their kid yeah. for a whole different reason. How about a suicide pact? Tonal shift. Relationship time. <laughs> um, so, as we touched on earlier, this is the part in the show where we take your relationship questions. And those relationships can be with loved ones, family, friends, um, the cop that gave you a ticket this morning, the cleaning person who comes in and takes care of your place but also may or may not be stealing things from you i don't know i don't know your life but i know that you have relationships with people or in the case of uh today's writer want relationships with people and uh we want to hear that so all right so i've got today's relationship question uh so here we go hey lhr crew my question isn't really about a relationship I have, but some relationships I'd like. A little backstory. I lived in the same town pretty much my whole life, including college. I'd been working for one really big company there for three years when they offered me a promotion if I'd be willing to move to another state. My little town was nice, but not exactly cultured, and, if I'm honest, a little conservative for a kid like me to stick around in and feel safe or happy. Parentheses, I'm a cis male, biracial, bisexual, who leans hard on the boy side, FYI. Cool. Uh, I thought, why not? <laughs> Somebody else is going to foot the bill, and my new town has tons of cool things to do and is way more progressive. Now that I'm here, though, I'm really only hanging out with work friends who moved with me. Still single, and I think I'm not taking advantage of this cool new place. How do I pick myself up and get out there? I want cool friends, maybe a good relationship, I'm not a, the dating around type, lol, and I want it without freaking out so damn much. Thanks guys, can't wait to hear from you. Okay, so uh, first of all, uh, point of order, did this person provide a name? They did not provide a name, and I'm, I'm getting salty about this, I feel like they need to start providing names, but also, how do I explain that to them without them having heard right. the episodes, so... So, uh... In so we the give spirit, them a yeah, we talked. We talked about uh, NPH uh, Doogie. Doogie, Doogie I love it. I love it. Okay, all right, Doogie. Uh, Andy, do you have any um, initial thoughts for Doogie? Yeah, my my first thought is congratulations for getting out of there and uh, hell yeah, finding a new town that is maybe a little uh, more woke. Mm-hmm. Um, seriously. Um, this is going to come off as a joke, but it's not meant as one. Uh, Tinder and Grinder and all of those, there, there's there's 20 different apps for those nowadays. Those aren't just for getting laid. Those are Those can build social interaction. And that was the first thing that popped into my mind was, you know, uh, get on Bumble or whatever and uh, start making some online friends that way. Have you ever had any experience with any of those? I, I don't think so, right? Like, I know I haven't. Me and my wife got Tinder uh, together. Not like a shared account or anything, but we each got Tinder uh, mainly because we were bored and wanted to see what happened. Um, yeah, okay. And, yeah, right. Um, we discovered she's a lot better at picking up chicks than I am. We knew this. Right. We knew this. <laughs> um, but seriously... Um, um, there are more people there who are willing to talk or are on there and still in a committed relationship than there are people who just want to get laid and get, mm. get the bone in. Um, I, I bring up Bumble because, uh, off the top of my head and this may be incorrect, but I'm pretty sure it is a social interaction site that is not centered around sexual conquest. Um, and if Bumble's not the right one I'm thinking of, I know for a fact that there is uh, basically a Tinder for friends out there. I don't know quite what it's called. Um, but, you know, really, 
Um, you know, I talk about apps. Um, I don't know if you also happen to be into online gaming at all, but I know several people that have cultured relationships with the people that they raid with online or whatever. True, uh, that's maybe not making the best use of the place you are in, but that does satisfy the need of cultivating some more social interaction with people and developing friendships. That's, I mean, I, I'll be honest, I didn't even think of using any online stuff. Um, one quick thing, I, I, have, I have some friends who told me about this years ago, or a couple of years ago, but I think there's something called, like, I think it's Coffee and Bagel, or Bagel and Coffee, some app like that. If, I, I, I promise you, if you, like, search the app store for, like, Relationship Bagel <laughs> app, something like that, it's basically it's supposed to be an app so that you can meet up with people to have coffee and a bagel with them. Yeah. Like, that was the premise as presented to me, so it's not a hookup thing at all, but, you know, okay. I wouldn't even have thought of an application. Um, so, Doogie, my... My thoughts immediately came down to similar, similar-ish to what Andy was talking about with the online gaming thing. Uh, the answer here is, what are your interests? Yeah. You know, what do you actually enjoy doing? You say that this new place has cool things. You don't mention what any of those are. Um, I know for a fact that... So Andy lives in Orlando, uh, and that has a really fascinating art scene, an underground scene there. Uh, I live in Asheville, North Carolina, and... Uh, they call it Beer City here. Uh, it's very famous for its breweries. Uh, there's also, like, hiking. Like, when I moved here, I, like, got weirdly into hiking. It's strange. Uh, <laughs> I, was not, I was not a hiker before. But, but the point is, like, clearly there are things about this place that interested you. Um, I, I, I've known people who moved to, like, Philadelphia or New York, and they go, there's so much to do. And then they show up and they go, the only things I'm interested in are going to bars and getting drunk. <laughs> Or, like, walking in the park during the day. And here's the thing. With just those two activities, I guarantee you, you could meet a wonderful circle of friends. It just matters putting yourself out there. Yeah, you know, it's a shame that um, the millennial generation onward has kind of developed this isolationist culture. And it is it has become a weird thing to uh, just randomly chat up strangers in... Uh, your local public setting, or or maybe that's just me being very antisocial. No, I mean, I, 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 I'm the first one to admit, like, I go grocery shopping. I don't take my headphones out from the time that I leave my door of my apartment to the time I walk back into the door of my apartment. Sure. I don't talk to anybody. I don't interact with anybody. That's me. Like, I'm not... So, admittedly, it's a little harder to... Uh, solve this problem now than maybe it was 20 years ago. Um, but with that said, it is still totally possible. It just takes a little bit of persistence, a little bit of understanding that probably 50% or more of the people you randomly chat up uh, at the bar or in the park or whatever are going to, uh, get a little weirded out and maybe uncomfortable with the fact, but there'll be others that don't. And again, the key really is interests. Um, if you like going yeah. to, uh, nerdy bars, which are spreading up all over the place, go to a nerdy bar, go to a, uh, an open board game night and, 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 and do that, go that way. If you are into sports, it's probably a little easier because most sporty types are particularly extroverted. So go root for the home team, um, and make some friends that way. Yeah. Uh, um, I'll, I'll tell this story. Um, when I first moved to Asheville, I, I knew my wife and like her circle of friends who I'd met a little bit, um, and, and, you know, I, I had moved there when we were engaged and about to be married, and it was understood I was going to live there just because she found a good gig there. I didn't really find anything where I was living. You know, we talked about it, agreed. And, and you know, it's a cool place. Like, I'm happy I moved here. But uh, I knew her, and I knew one other person uh, who uh, I'd who gone to school with, and she moved here uh, a year ahead of me. And I would go to a monthly book club that she ran. Because she worked in a bookstore and ran a book club. And I started going to that book club once a month. And 
that was the extent of my social interactions. And I haven't, I've made a couple of friends at that book club, but I think the homework assignment I would give you, Doogie, is find one thing to go to. Andy suggested nerdy bars or sporting events. I think that's great uh, if those are things that interest you. If you're, if you like to read and could maybe find a book club, um, if you are into, uh, I, my brother-in-law is into cars. Apparently car clubs are a thing. Huh. Like people just meet up with their nice cars and like sit around and drink beers and talk about their cars. This is a thing apparently. Oh, nice like, I cars. I okay. Know about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like not like good, good, good cars. Right. And they like will just drive their cars and they just meet in a parking lot and hang out and like walk from car to car. And they're like, Hey, I did this with my car. Hey, I did that with my car. Um, you know, LARPing, live action role play, uh, knitting. It's, it's amazing what you can do if you honestly just like go on Craigslist or pick up your grocery store penny saver, go anything around there. There's usually where there's people, there's people trying to build communities. If you're into music, go out to some local concerts. If you'd have told me that I would have had some of the most fun of my life going to a local rap concert in Asheville, North Carolina, <laughs> I would have spat in your face. But I went to one because like, a casual acquaintance turned friend uh, was performing there and his partner was going there too. And I was like, okay, let's check it out. And I went and I had a blast. It was wonderful. Um, did I make a bunch of new friends from it? No, but like I got closer to a couple people that I was forming a friendship with. Start small, find like, find one event, one thing to check out and commit to only going to it once or twice and say, I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to one person. And if you do that, even if nothing comes of it, the next time, next month, when you decide to try something new or go back to the same thing, it'll be a little bit easier. Sure. And uh, so I, I, you have your homework assignment, Doogie, and I would like to address one, uh, one, one final thought I have, something we didn't, I think, really uh, address in your question. Uh, I don't want you to freak out. I don't think there's any reason for you to freak out. Um, you know, as I said, we are a somewhat harder generation. I, I assume you're in my age range. Um, we are a somewhat harder, it's a harder time to meet people and make friends than it used to be. Um, and I think the important thing is to be patient and cultivate those friendships, you know, maybe hanging out with your work acquaintances becomes hanging out with their friends. And then all of a sudden their friends are also your friends. And before you know it, you, you have your own little network. It's hard when you're alone. Um, you know, Alex has Mm -hmm. a situation related to yours, but he had his wife to be kind of a social anchor point. It's harder when you're alone and you don't have that, but it is still possible. And it is certainly not worth thinking that there's anything wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with, uh, with your social skills and there's nothing uh, really wrong with your situation. So take it easy on yourself and, uh, you know, figure out what you're into. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what? I would even forgotten that you mentioned you had your work friends. Don't be scared to lean on that. That can be a support system. I, I don't know. You don't really say much about those work friends, but the fact that you have people who you like to hang out with, you, you enjoy the company of who I assume are, you know, positive influences. I, if you like hanging out with them, I assume that you enjoy their company. They're a source of positive energy for you. Hell, see if you can talk one of them to going along to one of these events or things so you're not alone. Check out some new things. Meet some new people That's a great idea. with your group of people. Yeah, like, there's, n- there's nothing to say that if you get, like, one or two people to go out with you to something and, like, the three of you meet, like, one or two other people and kind of bring them into the fold... That could be a great way to kind of expand that community for yourself. You have some community. Feel free to lean on that. Absolutely. Um, So, you know, we hope this helps, Doogie. And uh, keep on listening, buddy. Yeah, homie. I, um, 
I'm hoping for the best for you. Please keep us posted. Send us send send an update if you get oh, something. Oh, please send an update. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. All right. So uh, that's our show. This has been Love-Hate Relationship. And uh, so a reminder to the listeners, if you have a relationship problem with a loved one, a friend, a coworker, uh, any carbon-based life form, we are basically bags of meat that are held together through our relationships with other people. So I'm pretty sure you have something. Um, and if you have a question about that something, you can send it to love, hate relationship podcast at gmail.com where we promise we will read it. You can also tweet us at LHR pod. That's L H R P O D with any of your questions or even comments or even threats and, and you can follow us there to keep up with new episodes and, and continue with those threats. We, we do appreciate that. Absolutely. Uh, so I've been Andy Boel. You can follow me on Twitter at JovoCop2113. And I'm Alex Ruiz. Uh, you can follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at A underscore X underscore R-U-I-Z. Thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, please, please tell your enemies. <laughs> <laughs>